0: and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. This show is for all women who are dealing with infertility, but is specifically dedicated to Black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to leave out the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm Skyping in two women that happen to be best friends and have also climbed the corporate ladder together. But interestingly enough, they did not share their fertility woes with each other until one of them was facing a medical procedure. Climbing the corporate ladder. I'm here with Brooklyn and Keisha. Uh, They are best friends, they uh, went to school together, they work in corporate America together, and they both uh, happen to have dealt and are dealing with fertility issues, Um, and they also have a podcast called The Corporate Confidential, where they talk about women infiltrating corporate America. And so I thought their story uh, was very unique, uh, being close friends and going through corporate America together, so I just want to hear more about their story, more about their friendship, and how they came to know each other and where they are now in their careers.
1: Well, thank you for having us. Excited to share this story. So we actually met in business school and began to work with each other, of course, academically then. And after school, we really went to different coasts, stayed in touch, but we were on opposite coasts. And then, probably about two years ago, Keisha, I ended up back on the West Coast and so now we're in the same city, and at that point, we kicked off um, a podcast so that just got us um working together again.
0: okay and so, mm-hmm. in terms of your careers, where did you guys start with your career, and do you mind that like, kind of detailing like what you do now if it's not too invasive <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'll start. This is Keisha. I started off in consulting, and a few months in, I got laid off, and that gave me an opportunity to transition to a a major software company on the West Coast. And I've worked at this one employer for over 15 years, but I've had various experiences in um, marketing in particular. I did take some time off to go to business school, and as Brooklyn mentioned, that's where we met and uh, after business school i uh, came back to the same company ironically (laughs) thinking i was going to get away but i just made a i just bought a round trip ticket and went right back and i've been here ever since so now i lead product marketing for one of our major brands and that includes strategy and so forth awesome yeah
1: and i started out as an engineer actually so working on the technical side of the business wanted to do a switch more to the strategic business side, and that's what it took me to business school. So I started in engineering, went to business school, also went back to the same company, but this time in marketing. But since then, I've moved around a lot. I think like every two years, I'm somewhere different. And right now, I'm also doing product marketing, but for a real estate tech company. So different,
0: but it's still fun. Yeah, so in, in your field with marketing and tech and uh, being in corporate America, are you working with a lot of black women? Um, how, what are the demographics, so to speak?
1: I am definitely not working with a lot of black women. We have a lot of women both on the technical side as well as the business and marketing, but I am one, maybe three in our entire headquarters. so I am like the Black History Month Planning Committee, <laughs> um, but definitely a lot in a broader network.
2: Yeah. I, so our company is very large. So we have a large number of them. But if you look at percentage wise, it's very, very small. It's in the single digits. And um, often, you know, we, we have like multiple campuses and multiple locations. It wouldn't be rare for me to be the only person in the building, depending on how big the building is, and uh,
0: through bad news. Okay so now that we've covered uh, their careers, we know they're smart, we know they're you know working working corporate America, they're doing their thing and then they find out uh, at different times that they're both dealing with or have dealt with infertility issues. Do you guys want to jump into that um, and talk about your stories because they were both very unique.
2: I'll start, you know, I waited post MBA school to get married and I, you know, kids were always in our aspiration. You know, we were uh, trying pretty immediately after I graduated, I was about 31 uh, or 30 and, and I, you know, I, I, knew, I, I knew that time was of the essence. So we started it, trying, and um, it just it it wasn't, wasn't happening. Everybody, everybody around really me was getting pregnant. pregnant. At, at least that, that was the perception in my, in my head, head. Yeah, that, that everybody, everybody else was doing it. it. And so, so my fr- a friend, friend of mine was over 40, 40, and she went to a fertility specialist, and, and she recommended a fertility specialist, and, and I went, went right in. I told her my story about we were trying for over a year, and we weren't successful. And then then we went down down a series of tests, which determined that my fallopian fallopian tubes were blocked. And, you know, know, I remember, you know, just kind of like going home and immediately just kind of weeping. weeping. You You know, know, it's undiagnosed. We don't don't know why. why. It could could be fibroids. It could be scar tissue from a previous surgery. surgery. Um, It's it's just, you know, know, there's really no natural way that I was going to get pregnant, and I had to do IVF. So you went, did you actually go through the process of IVF? um, I, I, we did. So, um, we went through, um, uh, uh, IVF. So the first round where we extracted eggs and uh, we were able to result in, um, six viable embryos. And the The first first try try didn't work. work. Mm -hmm. And but But the second second try try worked, And so so I now have a beautiful beautiful daughter daughter who's now six six years years old. (laughs) That's exciting. And so you can talk about uh,
0: just quickly. So you went through the IVF the first time it didn't work. The second time it worked. So when you actually got pregnant, what was that feeling? Were you like in shock? Were you scared to share it with people at work? <laughs> you know, how did you yeah. work through both die- both I, not
2: I, conceiving I, the I first was... time
0: and then conceiving the second time?
2: I was very scared. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the first time, time, I told you know my cool close circle, circle of friends, you know the friends that I saw all the time. I didn't I tell anybody at, at work, work, but, but I certainly, certainly told friends, and then I had to call them, call them and tell them it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the second, second time around, I, I didn't tell anybody except my husband. husband. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, so he was <laughs> going, so going to the appointments with me, and I didn't tell anyone. My friends will call and tell me, what are you going to do? And I was like, you know, I don't know. We're just taking it slow right now. Um, but I didn't actually tell anyone until closer to the nine-week mark okay. um, uh, than the 12-week because I was just so scared, again, of having to go through that it didn't work yeah conversation. Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, Brooklyn,
0: what about you? I know your story uh, when you were telling me about getting ready to get married and then having to tell your fiancé. Um, all that was going on can you kind of walk everyone through that journey
1: yeah for sure so I was diagnosed with fibroids probably about two years ago and like My fiance, we happened to be just, you know, hanging out and driving around town when I got a phone call from the doctor that I needed to, like, report immediately to the emergency room, do not stop it, go, collect $200, go there immediately. So we were both kind of weirded out. We didn't know what was happening. So we got there, and that's when we found out that there was weeding and ultimately it was fibroids. So we weren't even engaged at this point. Mm-hmm. But because we knew this was happening, we knew that if we were going, like, you know, it caused the need to have a come to Jesus conversation with like, what are we doing um, with our relationship. And then, of course, what that means for family planning. Mm-hmm. So I think because once we did get engaged and shortly thereafter, we planned the surgery because of where the fibroids were located, the doctor's recommendation was to have a hysterectomy just because, that's what he thought based upon the location. If he tried to remove them by themselves, it was going to be a longer surgery, longer recovery. And his, his thought was that ultimately you would have to use the luterus anyway. So that's what we decided to do. And my now husband was on board. He was like, you know, we'll do what we have to do to save you now. And we'll deal with the rest later. Which so I love yeah. Yeah.
0: that he supported and was on board 100%. You know. Definitely. You told me about the hysterectomy. Can you explain... 'Cause you got a partial hysterectomy, so can you can you explain that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I also like didn't know the difference between a full hysterectomy and a partial until was in the scenario. But with the partial, basically all that was removed is my uterus. So I still have my ovaries, eggs, all of those things. So we like to say I have a storage issue, not a fertility issues. Like I've got all the all the equipment just nowhere to make the baby. So that's the scenario that we're in.
0: The Big Talk. Okay, so after uh, with both you gone through IVF, you've gotten a partial hysterectomy, you know, you're talking with your spouse um, about, you know, what the plans were. How did you come or decide what you were going to do? Like Keisha, in, in your case, you know, you realized your fallopian tubes are blocked. You knew, okay, we're going to try IVF. Um, and what was that experience like, even cost-wise, and telling people we're going to do IVF? Because I'm primarily in the state of Georgia, it, it's, fertility isn't covered here, so you have to pay out of pocket. And so I'm just wondering, even sitting down to talk with your spouse about that, how did that, um, you know, unfold?
2: Yeah, well, when the doctor told us that she basically don't pass go, you know, you're not, not going to do anything but that, IVF, that was the only option. And, and so I had, had to come home and read my employer's um, benefits package and, and to, to understand, understand what was covered. Um, and, and, you, you know, know, luckily, we I have insurance where they pay up to $35,000 But But I was also looking at options because because I know quite often uh, that $35,000 is exhausted and you have to come up with a plan B such as financing or paying out of pocket. And so my husband husband and I had this really come to Jesus moment of like, like, okay, are we we going going to, to, um, what are we we going to do if this doesn't work? Um, You know? know, And so so we had decided decided that we were going to cross that bridge (laughs) once we, exhausted the thirty five thousand dollars which is which is you know pretty generous but you know honestly it doesn't really go that far when it comes to infertility and so that's one of the things that you know advice that I would recommend women is to really understanding you know your benefits package and to your point understanding your state and what they do and really you know thinking about ways in which you could save for it or I think consider financing
0: and then, uh, Brooklyn, for you, getting the partial hysterectomy, how was that conversation like with your husband and even your family? Did you tell them you were going to do this beforehand? Did anyone discourage you from doing it? What was that conversation like?
1: Yeah, we definitely told people. So most people were supportive. We didn't like not take care of you. The rest will work itself out. Um, I did have some aunts that were one that was very surprised they had all like experienced this before, two had even had hysterectomies, but this was something that we like never talked about. Like you hear the oh, your clock is ticking, but no one gets into the details of what that means. And we have this in our family, so you should be ultra concerned about that until I was dealing with it firsthand. So it was like, yeah, good to know. Would have been nice to know a decade ago. But this is what we're doing now. And so having made that decision, like my husband and I knew. You know, if we one we were the people who like felt like our life was built around being parents, like that was a critical thing that we needed to do. We wanted to, but we wouldn't feel incomplete if we didn't do that. So we were able to feel comfortable knowing that it was a risk that it might not happen. But once we decided that we wanted to try, we knew that our options were either adoption or surrogacy. And after we researched both of them, we learned that, you know, adoption is just as costly, just as time-consuming, just as much of an emotional roller coaster as surrogacy, and since, like Keisha, we also were blessed with insurance coverage, which would at least help with a portion of it, we decided to go that route.
0: Too many damn appointments. Now let's talk about the all the doctors' appointments and your coworkers workers um, and how all that comes into play, because for me, uh, I'm blessed that I do a lot of freelance work, but even on a job I did uh, not too long ago, um, and having to go back and forth to the doctor, and then having to tell someone that you don't know that well, an employer, oh, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. You know, it, it's a personal thing, but you have to share because you're going to be missing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how, how does that uh, play out in your workforce and your work atmosphere? And were people being nosy? Like, well, where is she going? How did your bosses take it? How did all that come into play?
1: Well, for me, I, so I did the the first part of surrogacy is we did like the egg retrieval, so also the first part of IVF. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing that, I had a female boss at the time, and so like you said, I just knew I would be out of the office, it would be a bit unpredictable, so I had, I really thought I had no choice but to tell her yeah. what was happening. And thankfully, she actually had a close friend who started and managed a fertility center, so she understood the details, and she even had um, a more older, she was more senior when she got pregnant as well. So she understood the dynamics. So she was totally understanding and supportive, kept it between us, and it was no issue. Now, I haven't told any of my current co workers or my boss about the surrogacy. I probably should have given that I'm talking about it on <laughs> podcast, um, but we haven't had that conversation yet because, like, one of the like silver lining of surrogacy is like, I personally won't have that many physical implications mm-hmm. to it. I just have to, you know, of course, be there for my survey.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then Keisha, what about you? Um, how was your work experience when you were going through IVF? Did you find it difficult going to work? And did you have to tell your employer and your co-workers what was going on? How did
2: that work out for you? I didn't tell anyone anything until the 12-week mark, uh, just, just because, because I was. was so nervous about about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, The lucky Um, thing thing with IVF is that all your appointments are pretty much mapped out for you, Mm -hmm. and I have a pretty flexible employer where I can work from home or, you know, our schedule is pretty we're independent in terms of our scheduling so I would schedule my appointments first thing in the morning or during the lunch break and I would schedule them advance and so I would make sure that I put in transition times to the appointments and everything and that way no one really knew what was happening um and in, in hindsight, case, I, I, think I think I probably may have opened, have opened up a little, little bit more and told my coworkers, or uh, especially my boss, mm-hmm. just, so just so that yeah, I can get, get that empathy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> just, just so, so people, people understand, like, like hey, I'm, I'm not not coming to your nine o'clock meeting because, because I don't, don't think, think it's, it's important. important. It's just like you know, already I already got something planned. But again, like the scheduling in advance and just getting everything on the calendar on my work calendar was really helpful.
1: Yeah, and even beyond the schedule, like, I was just nervous about the hormones. Like, those can have, like, effects on your moods and emotions, and I just wanted her to know, like, if I snapped or did anything that might seem abnormal, don't blame me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely understand that. Like, I didn't feel, like, being on hormones, I didn't feel like I was changing my husband said I was, but I'm like, I I feel fine to me. Like, I left him at home one day because he was taking too long to get dressed. And I drove mm-hmm. off, and he was like, you're being crazy. <laughs> and i like, uh, no, I'm not. It? I was like, you're always waiting on me. And then when one time I'm ready, I'm waiting for you like for like 20 minutes. It's time to go. I was hungry. <laughs> so yeah, he said I was acting crazy, but I felt like I was being myself. So uh, that's interesting, uh, going through those treatments and, and being at work <laughs> and seeing how people react to you.
1: Right.
2: I I would share share that the the one time, time, the the first first time when it didn't work, I, I, I ended ended up up taking the day off of work just because because I was so mentally upset. Mm -hmm. You know, it it didn't work. I I couldn't, you know, know, I was, you you anticipate anticipate something, you know getting ready for IVF, there's a whole process to, to get ready, to get healthy, to lose weight, you know, I was doing all kinds of things to get ready up until that one moment, and it didn't work, and so I ended up taking a day off, and where I just kind of had a, 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 a pity party <laughs> that, you know, I, I was really upset, um, inconsolable, really, and then finally, I you know, kind of like had to get myself up together the next day and, 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 and go to work.
0: fighting failure so let's talk about that Um, talk about the failure aspect and the coping aspect of going through fertility treatments because people ask me all the time oh you know what do you do and I mean there to me there's no method there there's nothing there's no playbook to say what do you do it's kind of like you just (laughs) have to get up and keep going you know, I've been, I would say, lucky enough that when I've gotten those calls, I've either been by myself, um, you know, I wasn't out in the public to where, like, I'm like, oh, my God, I have to keep a smile on my face and I just have this bad news. You know, I've primarily been in the car driving home or something when the calls come. So um, just how did, and you talked about it a second ago, but how did you, you threw yourself a pity party, how did you and your husband Cope and did you guys cope in different ways um, when it didn't work the first time?
2: For me, my husband just really didn't show any emotion it was from his end, for his perspective. I think he was mostly concerned or expressed his feelings that were towards supporting me. Mm-hmm um, you know, I I always try to say, how do you feel? And he, and you know, he was like, I love you. I married you. And, you know, I want us to be healthy. And he always proposed different options. Like perhaps we can do adoption. He would be open to that, but he never really, I I think I was the one that was carrying most of the outward emotions. And so he just really tried to, you know, just hold me up basically.
0: And then Brooklyn, I know you're, are you at this point yet? I know you've gone through the egg retrieval process and you have your circuit lined up. Have you gone through any of um, you know, the ups and downs, oh, it didn't work this round, or you know, we're trying again
1: no we haven't gotten there yet so we're just at the point where we are about to put together her medication and transfer plan but it's definitely nerve-wracking because um you know like in traditional pregnancies like you should mention people don't typically even talk about it until like after the first trimester and we've been talking about it for a year (laughs) because it's like development so it's like yeah you have to every step of the way now is like micromanaged from preparing her uterus from the transplantation from the implantation to then like all of the then you get into you know, like your typical first trimester type yeah. of concerns. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're pretty um not nervous about it, but we definitely have said like every step of the way, you know, we'll not only have the medical evaluation, but also ourselves, like check in, like how are we feeling about this? Like do we need to try again? Like we said that we're only going to try like twice. If it doesn't happen successfully twice, then we will We'll not take this back. of course we're not planning on it happening but we thought it was important to have that conversation you know before you're in the heat of the moment trying to make that decision.
0: And then let's talk about briefly the the surrogate. So can you explain how that process works? So you went through your egg retrieval process and so now the surrogate does she have to be in hormones as well? Does she go yes. through the same okay so it's basically like doing an IVF. exactly Exactly. got it okay
1: yeah and we were matched with her through it's almost like I said it's very similar to adoption so there's actually like fertility agencies that recruit and then match you with surrogates and so they basically it's almost like online dating also like you submit a profile she submits a profile you look at each other's profiles if you match the in person and you talk about all types of things like what you want the relationship to be like during and after the pregnancy if there are any types of like behaviors habits and practices that you want your surrogate or Her family to do while she's pregnant, how you feel about things like um, early termination. So, like part of the process, even like mapping out the details of the contract, like you have to think through every worst case scenario. So, that is, it's not a fun process, but it's an important process because you have to like have those conversations in advance. And it also just lays out like the financial details. Like, you basically pay per week of pregnancy so even if things don't work out and something happens in nine weeks like you're still paying her like for those nine weeks and then there's an increased cost if she needs a c-section versus a vaginal delivery so it's just you really have to think through all the details I know more about pregnancy now than I ever have. Exactly, exactly.
0: Breaking the almighty silent code. And now let's talk about um, you, both of you guys going through um, infertility treatments and dealing with infertility. Did your family and friends know right away? Um, and what I thought was also interesting when I was talking to Brooklyn on the phone is that she said that she hadn't told you initially and you hadn't told her, you know, when you guys were both dealing with um Infertility, And so do you feel that you kept it to yourselves um, just because of the taboo-ness of the subject of, you know, of it being in the Black community, people don't talk about it? Um, and then how did you feel when you started sharing it with people?
2: Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I thought I was broken. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was being punished. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting kind, kind of teary just, teary just thinking, thinking about, about it, it, but... Yeah. In the the beginning, beginning, I just felt so. I I thought I was broken, Mm. and so So I didn't really want to tell everybody that I'm broken. broken. (laughs) You know, so I was really um, secretive about it. And And then eventually, um, you know, once you get get past past that, and luckily I was able to conceive, Mm -hmm. I I started. People would ask me, "Do you want to have another?" Yeah. And, and I was, I was like, like, well, you know, you it's, know, it's not, not that simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I would say, I have to go through IVF if I want another one. And then the, the person on the other end would usually say, oh, I've gone through IVF. That's how I got mine. And I'm like, really? Or I would find out that, yeah, you know, um, I'm actually going through it right now. And then I realized that, you know, I, I, I maybe something might be not ideal for me, but I'm not alone. And I think. That, you know, that process of opening up was really helpful. In fact, we have a group of friends that we stay in touch with since business school. There's so about 10, 10 of us, and five of us have had infertility issues in some way, shape, or form. And so it's, it's quite interesting that there's a lot more of us that are experiencing this than we, than we are really aware of. Wow.
0: And then, Brooklyn, um, talk about... Your particular situation, and now you were telling me that your family kind of came together to help you even with the payment uh, for uh, go moving forward with uh, the surrogate. Because people don't really know when they say, oh, why don't you just get a surrogate? They don't know the cost that's associated <laughs> with Like They say like it's such an easy thing. You know, when it's very, very costly. So if you can talk about that, um, you know, just sharing with your family how they came together, because I thought that was beautiful.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, my parents, my dad especially, is all on this, like, I need grandchildren, like, (laughs) which is very weird because, you know, for the first half of my life, they were like, "Do do everything you can not to have children. And now they're all about, like, the baby train. So basically, like, They've all come in from like not only a financial perspective, like helped pay towards like the cost of the things, but also planning. All right, we're retired. When do you need us to come up there? I'll, you know, like really making it clear to us that they are here to help in whatever way possible. So that has been good. Now, like my mom is definitely on board now. I do think that like she just needed some time to get the her. You know, her mind wrapped around it's the technology of it, it's the whole scenario. Mm-hmm. When I first told her, she's like, Yeah, um, just let me pray about it and then I'll get back to you. So it's like, Okay, take the time. And then it took her a couple weeks, and then she came back and she was all on board. So it's yeah. like some people need a little extra time, but everyone is, is yeah. there now. Yeah, oh, I have to tell you about my
2: mom. My mom is a very spiritual woman, mm-hmm. you know, she's in the church, and mm-hmm. she told me. One day the pastor had uh, asked if anyone wanted to pray for a pregnancy to come up and pray. And my mom got up and everyone in the church was looking at her. <laughs> but she said that she was praying for me and everybody in the church had hands on her through oh, God hands on me through her. Yeah. And so that actually was really comforting for yeah. me. At least, you know, that, you know, people were praying for me exactly. and putting their, and people who didn't even know me were praying for me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think once people
0: know, you know they're very supportive. You know I've had a ton of support, especially through uh, different uh, church families and stuff. My parents are ministers, and so initially, like when I had told them what I was going through, I think they were surprised. And then kind of like Brooklyn, like you said, my mom was like, "Oh, I gotta pray about this because they're not used to the technology aspect of it." You know, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm like, technology is there for a reason. You know if. If you can use it to your advantage, use it. <laughs> you know, like exactly. right? go to the doctor, find out what's going on with your body. So I always
1: urge women to do that. Yeah, and that was. Especially important to me, like with, especially with the fibroids, like, I just thought periods were awful. You <laughs> just had cramps in there, and that was just what it was like to be a woman. But then it's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. This is a problem. So I think it's just important for women to talk to each other about those types of things. And like you said, seek the medical perspective when something seems off.
0: Quick tips. Now, do you guys have any um, last tips for women, especially in different age groups in 20s, 30s, 40s? You know, because so often, you know, we are chasing our career. Not that we are forfeiting family, because sometimes it takes a little while to find the right man. You know, <laughs> um, but what advice would you have for for women? You know, in very going through various stages of their life, who want to have their career, who also want to have family. You know, what advice can you give them, you know, from your perspective of what you've gone through?
1: Well, I think the first thing for me is just find those people you trust and be more open about whatever it is you might be going through. Just because, um, like Keisha said, you'll find people who have shared similar stories or at least can be encouraging or empathetic towards you. And secondly, I'll pass on some advice that was shared from an OBGYN who we actually had on our podcast talking about this. She said, "If you are 25 years old and you can look five to seven years out and don't see yourself in a position where you would be having kids at that point, you should look into and think about like egg harvesting." Mm-hmm. Um, she also shared, "Like she was in like medical school at the time, it was the farthest thing from her mind, but in hindsight, it should have been." And again, like egg harvesting is <laughs> not cheap by any means either. But really, like start having those hard conversations with yourself earlier. Mm-hmm.
2: I recommend focusing on the things that you can control. So staying healthy, taking multivitamins, especially those with vitamin D and folic acid, those are things you're going to need regardless um, of how you, if you're going to conceive for your IVF or if you're going to conceive naturally. So just keep your body healthy and those benefits extend to work as well. And, you know, I just want to reiterate the one about reading your employer's benefits package. So if, if you're thinking, thinking about transitioning to a new job, I'd write into your goals, you know, finding an employer that meets these career objectives, but also has, you know, a benefits package that covers fertility. Um, you know, that's going to help go a long way.
1: Yeah, especially nowadays, some companies even will cover like egg retrieval, so to help with fertility concerns later on in life.
0: Mm-hmm. And then uh, just two last things. Um, I want you guys to plug your podcast, and also um, in terms of infertility, did you guys find find comfort in each other? Being that you know you're great friends, you both live in the same area. Did you find comfort in each other knowing that you both were going through similar things, even though at different times?
1: I think so. For me, given that like most recently and now having a hindsight to what she's been through, it was good to know that someone who has come up like a very, very similar path has done this before and been yes, successful at it, having that picture of success has definitely
0: been helpful. Okay, okay. And then plug your podcast so people know where to find you and they know where to listen to you and know, know more about the great things you guys are doing.
1: Sure. So the podcast is called The Corporate Confidential, and we really talk about where life and work intersect, so the different things that they cross over, like Keisha mentioned, like health and wellness, they impact your life, and it impacts work, and we do that in an environment over happy hours, so just imagine having a happy hour with your girlfriends, having a fun time, talking about life and work, and you can find it on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, really wherever you listen to podcasts, or on our website at thecorporateconfidential.com. Great, thank you
0: ladies, it was a pleasure. Having you guys on, um, I hope to stay in touch and Brooklyn know more about your journey and what all happens. We'll be praying for you and believing that you have success as well.
1: Thank you so much. much. I see sending baby pictures baby. in our future. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> and I've been loving watching your uh, webisodes, so keep up the great work there. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm Sinhara Eastman, and thank you for listening to the Black Girls Guide to Fertility podcast. You can stay connected with this movement on my website, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at Fertility.com and on sanharaeastman.com. And also, be sure to check out my web series on YouTube on the Black Girls Guide to Fertility channel.